1: Welcome to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth.
0: Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Welcome to The Visual Workplace. Welcome to, um, our show this week, which is called, it's the start that stops us. And I will be spending most of the show talking about that because it's got, it's a topic with many layers. But I first want to say this is the visual workplace where we learn about and enjoy embedding our intelligence into the living landscape of work so that the landscape, the landscape, that landscape can speak to us. This radio show, our weekly radio show, is about letting the workplace speak and finding the many, many elements of helping to make that happen so that we are implementing visual devices that have captured nuggets of our intelligence, information we want to know and pull to us when and as we need it, and information we want to share in order for other people to have the information that they need to know. So those two questions... What do I need to know and what do I need to share are really fundamental to creating this living, breathing, speaking workplace, the work environment that you work in that becomes your partner, that becomes your active, dynamic partner because you've designed it to be so. And one of the, one of the products of it is great, improved, bottom line results improved on-time delivery improved quality improved customer service improved if you're working in manufacturing change over time improved material handling because the information related to all those are, is embedded it's embedded into the living landscape of work into the physical workplace whether it's a production floor healthcare center A mine, my favorite, open-pit mine, (laughs) or a retail store, restaurant, engineering office. Wonderful bottom-line benefits. And the cultural benefit, which is a byproduct, I never put that first, although many, many companies put an improved, more engaged, more aligned work culture as the first byproduct, the first result of visuality. I never put it first because I want you to not forget that an effective implementation of visuality will give you bottom line benefits. What we see is a 15% increase in productivity without fail and often a 30, 34% as you know from the engineering office that I keep telling you about that my good friend Brian Leverton put into place using visuality in Australia. Okay? And that's what this show is about. And it's been my it's my pleasure to bring it to you. We are approaching our nine our one hundredth show. We are uh, we are at ninety eight. We're about to begin our third year. And by the way, we are putting up all of these podcasts by category. It should be there in a week. It was supposed to be there two weeks ago and you know, we're like everybody else, we've got this big dream of on time delivery and then Well, it's the start that stops us. (laughs) Things happen, struggle happens, but we're hoping to get that up very, very soon. I also want to announce that I'm doing just about the first public seminar this year. I did a very short one in San Diego in February, but the so let's say the second one in Regina, Canada, that's in Saskatchewan, in September. On September the 16th, I'm going to do an overview of the practices and principles of visual leadership, which is my form of Hoshin, my form of the war room, my form of stack metrics. And uh, that's on a Monday. On Tuesday, I will be doing the flagship seminar I always do, which is called Visual Workplace Visual Thinking. And, um. Uh, uh, that is the overview of my book by the same name and I think it's very good followed the next day by a site assessment of a brand plant they have very low volume very high complexity long 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 lead times and that will be happening the next day now what's great about it because of um, the wonderful efforts of Stuart Bellamy who is my sponsor and uh, who is uh, the CI lead on, uh, for all of Brandt. We are able to keep the price down to $395 per day. So we we just want you to come. We have lots and lots of room for both the visual leadership seminar on Monday and for the visual thinking seminar on Tuesday, but we have a limit of 15 for the site assessment because the plant simply doesn't have enough room to provide enough space for you to be comfortable beyond the number of 15. So if you're interested, uh that should we should be sending that out Within the next few days, tomorrow or the next day, and it will be posted on our website probably within 24 hours. We have a couple of tiny things to do, and then it will be posted on the front page of our website. You'll see it there. I would also say, um, what was it that I wanted to say? Well, I think I'll leave it at that. Uh, but uh, these are very, very good, and you might want to come to all three and then take a side trip to Lake Louise, which is just paradise on earth so beautiful there so welcome Uh, I'm going to begin the show now I I want to tell you that this show came as a result of two events one of them uh, is your emails and uh, I want to thank you for them you have been asking you you have been asking me rather to uh, talk about implementation it's a frequent theme and we can never say too much. We can never share too much about what's, what an implementation should look like and also what's hard about it because sometimes we miss what's hard and uh, it, it runs us over. And um, also uh, an incident, a conversation that I had with somebody I respect a great deal. I'm going to call him Chris. So let me tell you that story, and I'll pull the two together. The name of this show is It's the Start That Stops Us, and it's about – how even though we want to implement some good continuous improvement methodology, somehow or other it doesn't last. And sometimes it doesn't last long enough to even begin. It just stops. It stops at the start. This is a dangerous place. The start is always tricky. (laughs) The start of anything is always a little tricky, full of hope full of imagination, expectation, and also full of requirement. So let me tell you the story. In a way, it's a story about you. If it turns out not to sound exactly like you, then maybe it sounds like somebody you know, a fellow employee, maybe a CI specialist, maybe a trainer, maybe a manager who's in charge of continuous improvement. That's what I mean by CI. Or a CEO. Someone someone who is responsible for the corporate success of a conversion. And by conversion, I mean a rollout, an implementation, an intentional implementation of a methodology. And it is a method or a methodology that is supposed to help or even solve a vexing problem, a vexing condition of the workplace. Part of that responsibility in almost, in many, 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 many cases, is the operator, the person on the value-add level. That's very true. And there are lots and lots of other people behind the scenes who have to help to make that successful. And I'm talking about that group right now. So this is a story about a company that has a number of sites and the person who is in charge of rolling out operator-led visuality at three of those sites. And those three sites happen to be the pilot sites the place where the viability, the effectiveness of operator-led visuality is supposed to be shown or demonstrated, piloted. The industry is textiles. And now this is one of the toughest industries for continuous improvement or for visuality or for any systematic improvement application because the business case is built around volume. So time is always an issue, always an issue. Resourcing is always an issue. By volume, I mean volume of T-shirts, volume of socks, volume of, may I say privately, pantyhose, volume. These are commodity products, and the margins in the textile industry are very narrow. But I want to say before I continue that if you work at a health center, hear this story As though it is about you. Don't fall into the trap to say, oh, that's not about me because it's manufacturing or it's about mining. It's not about me because it's automotive or, in this case, it's about textiles. It's not about me. No, no, no. We're talking about continuous improvement. We're talking about visuality. So it's about you. It's about your workplace. These are broad strategic interventions for every workplace. Continuous improvement is about improvement. Who is exempt? Who doesn't that apply to? And visuality is about embedding language. The language of your operations. Who does that not apply to? It applies to you. So here's the story. The story begins, began with a phone call. Began, uh, with a phone call from someone I'm going to call Chris. He is the director of continuous improvement for the three pilot plants, plus he had four or five others. And he's involved in launch in, he, he should have been involved in launching this rollout, but he came late to the game. He was brought on about uh, a month after the launch, which means he didn't have any of the pre-launch period to prep with, and he didn't have the launch itself to have that experience of launching for the first time. Now I want to remind you that the company is in the textile industry. And that particular industry is not famous for its level of continuous improvement, its level of excellence, or its people empowerment, or anything, because it focuses on volume and on very narrow margins. But the story of this company is different. It recognized, because of one huge thought leader on the corporate level, the importance, I give credit to him, His name is Paul. Let's say his name is Paul. (laughs) He recognized the importance and the benefits of continuous improvement and of people. And he advocated it and won a considerable investment, a sizable one, and became a pioneer in the industry and wanted to go deeper into developing people to be contributing members of CI decided to use visuality. The honor fell to us, to create a transformation that really embedded the operator's intelligence and expertise into the living landscape of work through visual devices. So Chris came on late, about a month, month and a half late. He took over smoothly and with strength. He was clear, clearly well-meaning and smart. He had never done a visual rollout before, but he had a lot of experience before he joined the corporation. However, he was dropped in. It's as simple as that, and it's that important. He was brought, dropped in. He has, he had and he has every intention of succeeding, but he kind of needed to orient. So Chris and I were in touch and, and are in touch about every other week to discuss and sort through the logistics of getting visual, talk about the training schedule, talk about the trainers, some of the challenges, what is maintenance doing, how's it going, are the plant managers holding their own, are they getting nervous, how are things going? On alternating weeks, I often have a session with the trainers themselves or with the site coordinators for these three sites, the, the coordinators who are in charge of logistics, in a way, Chris is right-hand person at the three sites. So the roll-off got off to a, the rollout I, I should say I'm sorry the rollout got off to a pretty strong start. People were enthusiastic. they were ready to learn. The trainers jumped in. The management was excited, excited. And all of that pretty much remains the same. Only now Chris is in charge of the results. And I would also say there were some large organizational changes on the corporate level just by chance. And that made some rock and roll. And then there was some local rock and roll about some local changes. And, you know, local changes always require careful adjustments because that's where the transformation lives and breathes locally. So what happens on the local level is ratcheted up and becomes a corporate outcome. But we always, it's the same thing that we say in politics, think globally, act locally. Think corporately, but act locally. It's exactly the same. So Chris and I met regularly, and I was impressed, repeatedly impressed, by his goodwill, his intelligence, the proper way in which he conducted himself, his interest in the methodologies, and his care for people. It was a kind of savvy care. He cared about people, but he also cared about results, and he struck a really good balance. In short, he was doing a very, very fine job. And I will tell you what happened next when we come back from the break that's about to happen now. See you in a minute.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how... Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website, again, is visualworkplace.com. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Hello, welcome back. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn, and welcome back to the Visual Workplace. Here we are in the second segment of our show, and we are talking about it's the start that stops us. We are talking about the challenge of implementing and the kinds of things that stop us, but I'm on a more subtle level than just a list of can't get supplies, lack of management support. It's slightly different than that. And to convey this, I'm telling you a true story. I'm changing the names. I'm not giving you the name of the company. A true story about a man I'm calling, Chris, and a conversation we had not more than three weeks ago. But I was so... Moved by the conversation that I, I said, you know, this is worth sussing out. This is worth delineating so that people can understand people like Chris, but also, I think, themselves and why there is a struggle. Some of the things I'm going to talk about later in the show will be things you can do something about, and some of them will be, uh, oh, things out of your reach. I I think I'll be able to finish today. If not, I will continue next week. As you know, I often do that. So Chris and I were meeting, and one fine day, he said, well, let's talk. Normally, we do this on WebEx, and I'm showing him stuff. I'm showing him pictures, or he's showing me pictures. And he said, let's just have a phone call. I thought, okay, okay, something was up. And I was thinking, I kind of knew what he faced i knew what was hard about what was hard about his job he faced the unknown the unknown was in part the fact that he came on late and he was learning about visuality as he was uh, supporting it but he was it was also unknown because so many things happen at the start of an implementation it feels very random and it feels kind of out of control so, Chris had to catch up. And he did a superb job in that. He listened to everything, he watched everything, he had conversations, he sat in. He was very, very responsible. I couldn't have wanted a better partner. But he also knew that a lot was riding on his ability to do a good job. He felt very responsible. So, on this particular morning, I knew he wanted to talk. Something was bothering him, something was different, something was more important than usual. And I asked him to take the lead. What's up? Tell me what's going on. And he said, I need to know what I can expect. I need to know what's supposed to happen and what's supposed to happen next. So we talked about that. We talked about the spot that he was in, in uh, the stage that he was in right then, and the kinds of things that would unfold from from there based on the methodology, the content methodology of what was supposed to happen in visuality. We went back and forth. I told him one or two things, but I knew there was something else. And so I said, you know, Chris, I think there's something else. Is there something else? Because it sounds like there is something underneath what we are discussing now. Yes, he said there is. And he told me. He told me about his other worry. And it's a worry that is so. um, uh, The word that comes to mind is gentle or so kind of delicate that it's hardly expressed in a serious way. But it is probably the most important question. And Chris asked it. He said, How are we doing? How are we doing? He also meant, of course, how am I doing, meaning him. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? Are things going okay? Are we behind? Things seem a little bit slow right now. We keep running into roadblocks. Our trainers are working hard, trying to master the material, but it's taking time. And we have such a hard time, this in particular, we have such a hard time dealing with all the ideas that are getting triggered in our operators, We feel kind of overwhelmed and, I don't know, are we doing okay? Is this normal? Are we handling ourselves right? What a wonderful question. So plain and yet so earnest. Because we need to know. How are we going to know if we're doing it right unless we can get it verified somehow? Because things are messy at the start. Remember the name of the show is, it's the start that stops us. We try to make an assessment about what's happening at the start based on what we know should be the result. The criteria is completely different, completely. When we start getting results, we can measure the bottom line benefit. We can see the cultural impact. We can see the number of trainings we've had, the number of people we've had who are who have been trained, what their ideas were, how many were implemented. Maybe even we do a cost-benefit analysis after six or seven months to see how much money that, that made us. We look at the landscape of work and we see that it is physically and visually transformed. We look at the aesthetic impact, all of those things. But we can't bring that criteria to the start because none of those things are in place. At best, it's a hope. We hope these things will happen. And we know they are dependent on what we are doing now. So how are we doing? Are we okay means is this going to get us there? Is this what's supposed to happen at the start? And very little discussion is I I have encountered very little discussion about the start. There are very few roadmaps, authentic roadmaps, to deal with that. And when you hear all these presentations at the conferences, they always tell you about the destination. They tell you a little bit about the start, and that's the part that's really interesting, very local. This is where our struggles were. Here are our lessons learned. This, And so that, that's the part that we're in. So I told him this, and I told him truthfully, you are doing okay, in fact, very okay. You are exactly where you ought to be for the challenge you have taken on. You are doing fine. And, of course, we talked some more. And I realized because of the huge sigh of relief I heard from Chris that that had put him at his ease. He needed somebody outside of the corporation to say he was doing a good job, he was doing the right things, and that the struggle was a part of it because that's what I said to him. I said the struggle is a part of it. He wanted to make sure that the gains that were made were made and stayed in place. Hard-won gains, and he already had some. Only he wasn't noticing those as much as the distance he still had to travel. Hard-won gains, but won nevertheless, and gains nevertheless. And he had a few breakthroughs with one particular plant manager. I heard him breathe a sigh of relief, deep relief. Everything was as it should be. He had not missed the mark. He had not failed. No one had failed. Everything was well on its way. And all of that was nice and it was true. And the efforts were paying off. But here's the thing. Not in the way an outsider might notice. I'll get to that in a little bit. Much more to that in a little bit. Much few outsiders would be able to look at the implementation at that stage and say, Ah, we're on our way. Yeah, this is good. We're moving along. Few corporate leaders would notice the progress because these changes at the beginning are subtle, but that does not mean they are not there. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Because one of the main things that was happening is that people were learning. They were learning about themselves. They were learning about the implementation. They were learning about... The organization and the connectivity, or the lack of connectivity, they were learning where their strengths were, and they were learning where their struggles were, all within the framework of, in this case, operator-led visuality. But your framework might be uh, cellular design, or your framework might be, mm, let's just think, maybe six sigma, or implementing Pokéoke visual guarantees, or visual leadership. People were learning. Excellent. Trainers were learning to train. They were beginning to understand the material in the way that you can only understand it when you have to teach it. That's when you know if the material stands up because you have to teach it. It's you out there. It is your um yourself. <laughs> it's about to be more colorful. <laughs> yourself that's on the line and you know if the material is, is there to support you. You know where the gaps are. Side coordinators under Chris's uh, leadership were beginning to uh, live in real time. The challenges we talked about when uh, in the many shows that we talked about in getting the infrastructure together, remember the improvement infrastructure, they were gaining. Just look for the shows on infrastructure and you'll, you'll, you'll get an earful. And Chris was beginning to understand his role in having the right expectations and checking them and verifying proof of progress. In his plans and, in fact, throughout the 50-plus sites in this corporation, the the margins were so narrow that leadership really did understand that the next margin gain would have to be through continuous improvement and that visuality was, was designated to be a major player. Mm-hmm for creating continuous improvement thinking and also visual thinking. They go hand in hand. So I said to him, you are just where you should be for your three pilots and for yourself. he was glad because he knew he had been worrying that, in fact, everything was wrong, that the small bumps in the road that he and his colleagues had been uh, encountering constituted one big bump He had been staring. He thought he was staring failure in the face. He had the guts to ask, am I staring failure in the face? Tell me now because I need to know. (laughs) Some of us don't have the guts to ask. We just like to say, I'm going to just keep going. But he's very savvy. He was very awake. Some of us think we do our own diagnosis, and what we see is, only, is not only not pretty, it is doom, 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 gloom, and doom, doom, and gloom. We are certain that we are failing, but we are wrong. And yet we believe it because we have no balance point, and we abandon the initiative. We run away. We bail. It's the start that stopped us dead in our tracks. Yeah, no, no. I hear you. I hear you. You're saying no, no, no. It's not me. It's my boss. He bailed. She bailed, too soon. Well, the first thing I say is send him a link to this podcast so he won't do it again. So, so he and she would will not lose heart, lose faith. You know, managers are very good at rehearsing trouble because their, you know, their jobs are on the line. Their reputation is on the line but also their hope is on the line and the confidence that they have in their own decision making is on the line. So we're sympathetic. You should be sympathetic. A lot, a lot of pressures up there. So they rehearse trouble and it comes. So I want to tell you in a moment what happened next, but first I want to tell you once again that I'm, I want to give you something of use for you to take away from Chris's story. And I'm going to start formulating some of the pieces so that you can, and surface actually four elements for you to pay attention to when you're planning an improvement initiative and when you're at the start. They are simple things, and honestly, I have another another 30. (laughs) There's a lot that can stop us. But these four, I think, are um, sometimes overlooked. They're not even noticed. So we'll do that. We'll begin, sort of begin that when you, when we get back from our next break. See you in a minute.
1: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company Gwendolyn galsworth visual workplace expert and award-winning author is available to help you harness and maximize that power with nearly 30 years of hands-on experience dr galsworth shows you how Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website, again, is visualworkplace.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author, working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies.
0: Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn and you're at the Visual Workplace. We're in our third segment and I'm really glad that you are with us today. I am talking about, um, it's the start that stops us and going over what I have discovered over these many years. It's 31 years now of what are the um, milestones or the characteristics of an organization when it is taking up an initiative. Now, I'm talking mostly about organizations that are newcomers to continuous improvement initiatives, newcomers to organizational change. If your company is very practicing this, they will be able to absorb a new initiative pretty much lickety-split. Because they already have an infrastructure, even if it's tailor-made to their own taste, you know, kind of homegrown, they will already have an infrastructure in place, and the absorption the absorption rate will be very quick and pretty deep. But in this case, I'm talking about Chris and his industry is textiles, and a rollout of three pilot plants. It's not only new. For um, Chris, it's pretty new for the corporation, but I will tell you this corporation actually had already made an investment into continuous improvement, but this visuality had more structure to it, more expectation, more specific outcomes because the outcome of visuality is visual devices. So I told Chris, you know, Chris, you're doing okay. He was worried. Am I doing okay? Are we, are, are is this the way it's supposed to look and feel and be? Yes, 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 it is, it is. But I told him something else within a minute. The next thing I said to Chris was, in my view, as important for Chris as my comment that he and his sites were doing okay. I told him. But that doesn't mean your implementation is not in jeopardy. But that doesn't mean your implementation is not in jeopardy. Because it is. All three of them, all three sites are in jeopardy. Yes, right now. And implementation, I went on to say, is always in jeopardy at the start. Because it's the start that stops us. And because that is when people are most likely to bail, to give up. That is when you are most likely to discern a problem, for example, with the methodology or your execution of it. An implementation is always in jeopardy until it grabs. Only when it grabs does it begin to sink roots, roots that go deep. Does it begin to mature and have a life of its own, a structure of its own, an architecture of its own? Even then, someone... And, you know, I'd like to say some joker, <laughs> but someone on the site or corporate level will misread the signs of getting started and get impatient and pull the plug. There's always that possibility. Or maybe you, who are the leader, will get promoted and then you leave and with you leaves your belief, your passion, your skill, your commitment, and someone else takes over and everything rocks and rolls again. Everything maybe goes down the tubes. This is, we'll do a show on succession, the logic of succession, because I have some very strong opinions about that, but we're very, very weak on that in America. Probably worse than any place in the world that we just replace people and with it goes their heart, their mind, and their legacy. Okay. So. Just because you are doing okay and are where you should be doesn't mean that you are not in jeopardy. And I went on a bit. And the sum of it is this. Implementations are hard until and unless you and your company get very, very good at that get good at implementing, and then, as I said before, things get easier, they're more elegant, because you've had a lot of practice. You've had a lot of practice at failing, and therefore, a lot of practice, if you kept going, at learning. And the fact that you continued paid off, and it will, eventually. Toyota got good at it. Parker Hannafin, the Irvine, California site, got good at it. They may not be complete, but they are learning, about organizational change, about continuous improvement. They have structures in place, and they have an attitude of learning. They stay open, they tell the truth, and they listen. They're learning. And that's how the worry recedes, and that's how the sense of satisfaction and stability begins to take root. But up until then, your initiative is always in some manner of jeopardy, some threat, some risk, you have to stay vigilant, you have to notice you have to move forward, please, take the risk and learn, but stay vigilant. You know, I have heard it said that ice, which melts at anything over thirty two degrees thirty two degrees thirty two degrees, is the freezing point, and it is also the point at which ice turns into water, but that ice requires 80% of the energy to move from 31 degrees to 32 degrees to the melting point, as it did to move from 0 degrees to 31 degrees. In other words, once things get started, that's when you need, once you are at the at the launch, that's when you need to pay the most attention. It's the start that stops us. I've also heard it, I'm sure you've heard it as well, it takes something like 80% of the fuel that is in a rocket ship. It's used to simply break the gravity of the earth. It's not even the journey. You don't begin the journey until you break the gravity of the earth if you're going to the moon. But you're going to consume 80% of the energy just to break that. Do you see that's what you're doing? You're starting a journey and you're getting a firm start. Or it will stop us. It takes energy, it takes focus, it takes will, it takes courage to go and to keep going. So, you know, I have been so impressed by companies who are willing to pick up this challenge over the years. It used to be called TQM, then it was lean. Now I hope it's being called operational excellence so that we can really um, be more precise about that definition. And many companies recently have taken on the term of CI or continuous improvement as a way of recognizing that it's a journey and it's a long journey. And although there are some, and this is the first point I want to make. I actually want to make five of them. Although there are some who proclaim that the goal of the journey is perfection and even admit that it is an elusive goal, I find the focus on perfection tricky and even dangerous. So this is my first point. If you have perfection as your goal and you're in the midst of your start, it's going to be tricky for you because perfection is not really visible from where you are. Once one raises the ante to the level of perfection as a goal, There is a chance that it will dominate the future and dominate the present and cause trouble. When we speak highly of perfection, we are making comment on imperfection. The imperfection that looks on the opposite side. We've created a duality and we're going to lose you know i've always said in my quiet moments with people who are very close to me the only thing that we can be perfect in is is our gratitude that's the only thing that humans are are capable of being perfect in is their gratitude if we seek perfection and you know i love jim Womack. i think his work is terrific it has been revolutionary but that first principle makes me crazy because i because it it fires the Um, oh what is the right word the kind of fanatical commitment that stands in the way of true learning we can be passionate but we also have to be in balance we have to learn and all of us fail (laughs) in the face of perfection perfection is for another realm life isn't like that nor is work nor in my view is continuous improvement certainly not visuality we can find some really great visual devices that are dazzling. You know, so we could say, you know, what we seek is dazzlement. I'd be happier than that, with that than seeking perfection. I prefer to refer to the movement forward simply as progress. Modest though that may sound at first, an effort to progress will not create points of unfavorable comparison the way the notion of perfection often does. I think this is a subtle part. I think it's easy for people who are not involved to say we want it perfect, perfect, perfect. But it was, honestly, for me, it doesn't inspire me. It scares me. I feel like a failure already. Any paradigm, perhaps I'm making too much of this, but let me proceed, that has a black and a white opposite as it shadows, is dangerous, is dangerous, and I think is unimplementable, dangerous from that point of view. It keeps us focused on points of comparison, which are often stark and unforgiving, and robs us of the result of our effort, the true result of our effort, which is progress. We're courageous people, and we're smart, and we want to do well. We're going to make progress. Let's celebrate that. So let's give ourselves a break, cut ourselves a little slack, and recognize that while effort is not exactly a result, you don't get an A for effort in implementation. It is only through effort and renewed effort that we can proceed on the journey long enough to create new outcomes, dazzling re- dazzling results. So where am I going on this? Well, there it is again. It's the start that stops us. And it is... It will stop us if we have a fictional notion of what success means, especially when we're creating, when we're implementing a great idea, a great methodology, I should say, in real time. So I'm going to build that case a little bit. And I know already we're not going to have time because I just got to notice that we're having another break. My God, where do they come from? (laughs) What, another break? But I have more to say. We're not going to be able to finish this time. So whatever I wrote this week as the blurb is pretty much going to be the blurb for next week because what we're going to be talking about is the what and the how right after the break. Please forgive me. Joe, you are so right. I I just have too many words so if you remember joe from a year and a half ago okie dokie Uh, please come back after the break and we'll put some uh, more shape to this and i hope begin to give you some things you can use or, or at least contemplate see you in a minute Hey, hi. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. We're in the fourth and final segment of our show today at the visual workplace and the show this episode is called. It's a start that stops us. We will continue this next week and, uh, shame on me for thinking I can squeeze so many words into such, uh, into 46, 47 minutes. This is a problem I've had for a very long time, but we'll discuss that on yet another show. So just before the break, I was saying to you, I was naming the first subtle barrier to our success, which I call seeking perfection, that we should, in fact, seek progress. And in seeking progress, we have a more appropriate human-sized measure of our success at the start, at the start. And I know perfection is supposed to inspire us to know that there is still more to do but it is my belief that we already have that built into us. It is my belief that we are already creatures, being, uh, beings of continuous improvement. You can go back to my discussion of the mind as a pattern seeking mechanism for um, my evidence of that. But right now, I want to begin to delineate, to separate the three components of an implementation and of an effective implementation. Bar none, but, of course, I have visuality in mine. But I want you to know on the front side that the third element, which I'll tell you about in a moment, is frequently, frequently not factored in. It's completely overlooked. It's missing, and that is a problem. So the first element is the problem that you name or select, the change that you seek. Notice that I didn't say the solution. I said the problem. So you name a problem, you have a problem, you name a condition, you want that to change, it's got to change, it's got to improve. The second is the method by which you get that change, the method by which that change happens. So what is the problem? What is the way we're going to create the change? So that's one and two. The third element is what's missing, and that is how do we put the methodology in place? How do we put this very important methodology in place? We've got two what's and one how. For example, your company has long lead times, and as a result, late deliveries, unhappy customers, and a lot of struggle on the production floor. The pressure on everyone is intense. That's the first what. you got a problem. What is the problem? I can tell you what it is. Long lead times, unhappy customers, struggle on the floor. You select a methodology that will address that. The struggle, let's say the struggle part, the struggle part on the value add level. You choose, perhaps, visual order, the visual wear. Operator led visuality, I call it. That will get operators engaged in the solutions. That's a nice combination. Trackable bottom-line benefits, 15 to 30% increase in productivity, and a great cultural alignment. Hefty, hefty outcome. That's your second what, two what's. What methodology will we use to address the problem? The third element, and the one that is most often overlooked and is not even known that we're overlooking it, is the how. How will we put the methodology in place? How will we deploy the visual where? Operator-led visuality. How do we do that? Now, every methodology worth its salt must provide you those two things. First, a robust, well-documented content, a description of a step-by-step process that will accomplish, delivered over time, solid solid bottom-line results. How do you deliver that? That's another part of the methodology. How do we teach it? This is the knowledge part. This is the meat of the content of the method. The steps in sequence that puts new knowledge in place. Principles that are clearly stated. Practices that support those principles. Knowledge. Predetermined. The second is the missing piece. And the second is the how. How do we do that? Hmm? Not many methods provide that. I'm going to call it the that. A protocol, just to keep it separate from methodology. Not many methods provide a protocol for getting, in this case, the new thinking in place, visual thinking on the operator level in place, for dealing with cultural issues as part of that protocol, for dealing with resistance and inertia as part of that protocol, or even helping your trainers get good enough at the method, at the method, not to do damage. Maybe there's even a sub-protocol for your managers and sponsors to adopt so that they can follow the right behaviors to help them make a contribution as well. These are all things that our methodology, my methodology has because, you know what, I've had so many failures, I know exactly why they're in place. I can tell you, quote you, chapter and verse, what company I was at, what supervisor came up to me growling when I knew that the methodology was not the uh, protocol was not serving them. And something was added as a result. Boy, I tell you, if there's one thing I've done, and not that happily, I've learned. Kicking and screaming sometimes, but I've learned anyway. So I'm afraid that we're going to be running out of time as I uh, uh, try to build more points. So let me just summarize. It is the start that stops us, and I want you to see why. I want you to see that the start is the hard part and that there is good reason to lose heart but we mustn't there is good reason to have misgivings but we mustn't and we won't if we understand that those misgivings are part of getting started you may know this through your marriage when you first got married if you're still married you've worked hard if you have a job and suddenly you're involved in something new that's an extension of your skills and your experience, you know that you had to go through a learning curve in order to hold on to that opportunity. If you're starting school or if you're working and trying to start school, you know how hard that is and yet you want to do it. You have your vision on some great outcome and you want to make progress towards that and you know that going to school, so you're going to have to deal with what comes. It's the same way as when we implement. A great deal is at stake. And we do not often come out of the gate with an adequate understanding of either what we are facing or how to handle it. So the start stops us. Too bad, isn't it? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, we're smart in new ways as well. So I want you to think about these things. It's the start that stops us unless we know that it will And unless we know what to do about it. We walk the walk or we bail. If we walk it, we learn. If we bail, we also learn. So think about this for yourselves and for the people that you work with and for your company. What you are doing is important. Please keep doing it. Please keep doing it. I know because you're listening. I know that you are interested in learning for yourself. And for others, and I'm so inspired by that. I'm so happy that you joined me today at the Visual Workplace, and I hope to I hope to see you. (laughs) I hope to talk to you next week. So this is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. Thank you.
1: We appreciate your joining us this week for the visual workplace work that makes sense please tune in for another episode next tuesday at 7 p.m eastern time 4 p.m pacific featuring your host dr Gwendolyn galsworth on the voice america business channel thanks again for listening